Hi, welcome to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This is your host, Josh Campson. This is it, everyone, our 20th episode. Uh, I appreciate everyone that stuck with us from the beginning and any new listeners, welcome. 20 feels like a lot to me. Uh, maybe not to everyone else that's listening, especially since it's been sporadic releases. But hey, uh, you know, if you want to sponsor, you can sponsor. If not, this is a labor of love. You get what you get. And I don't want to hear any complaints. But as always, remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Today's guest is Patrick Curtis. Patrick is the former president of the Montgomery Bar during 2020. We thought it'd be appropriate for him to be the 20th episode. Um, Patrick and I talk a lot about cryptocurrency randomly. Uh, and also about estate planning and about music and gardening and all kinds of interesting things in Lollapalooza. I think it's a good conversation that you'll enjoy. Uh, if you don't like crypto, I apologize. There's about five or six minutes of crypto talk in there, but I think you'll learn a little something. Uh, none of it's investment advice, of course. Got to cover our bases there, but check it out. Take a listen. I hope you enjoy it. Always remember to hit that subscribe button and thanks for listening. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Josh. Yeah. It's an honor and a privilege. I don't know about honor, but uh, it's definitely a privilege. I noticed you came in uh, wearing, what is that, a Lollapalooza hat? Uh, well, I, I didn't want to show off my long flowing hair now, you know, knowing your-, your My uh, situation. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I I put on my hat, the closest one here, yes, Lollapalooza. Uh, it's the 30 year anniversary a couple weeks ago. So yeah, I'm into music. We Maybe we'll talk about that. Did you go to Lollapalooza this year? I did not. It was in Chicago. You know, they called it a, a super spreader event, et cetera. So now I, I've avoided those types of things. Isn't it always in uh, uh, Chicago? That's a good question. Uh, I, I thought it kind of toured around, to be honest. I, okay. Maybe but, at some point it's settled in Chicago because I know I'm often, it's often the same time as the ABA annual meeting is Lollapalooza. So I have um, walked by it probably half a dozen times. Boy, that's a tough choice for me. Yeah. A meeting or Lollapalooza. I, I don't know what I'd go with there. Well, it's easy actually because it's on the weekend and all the ABA meetings are on like Friday and Monday. So you're there anyway. So you could just go. Oh, well, maybe yeah. I'll go to an ABA meeting then. There you go. Next time it's in Chicago, I think probably next, uh, next summer. They like that's doing, cool. although the problem is sometimes they'll do the summer meetings in like the South and then they'll do the winter meetings in Chicago. So it's about zero degrees. Then you don't get the Lollapalooza, mm. but uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about you and what you get up to. So you're a lawyer, you're a general practice lawyer. Do you, or at least uh, that's what you say. Do you find yourself doing a little bit of everything or do you find yourself doing more one thing than the other? Uh I guess that's evolved over time. Uh, I started my own firm right out of law school and, you know, uh, there wasn't people beating down my door uh, with cases. So you kind of take whatever case comes in the door, learn, you know, by trial and error, so to speak. And, uh, you know, over time you learn what you like and don't like. So I share with you, having listened to Every one of the podcasts you put on, all 19 so far, I share with you a somewhat uh, unfavorable opinion of family law. Uh, you know, I, I was good at it and I did all aspects of it, but it's just not my cup of tea. Uh, so I don't do that anymore, although I will actually I'll do a divorce on paper. You know, if there's no appearances in court and things of that nature. Uh, but, you know, so I've steered away from that. I've always done criminal defense, still do. 
Uh, I have a master's in business, so I and I started my own business, as I said. So I've I've kind of gotten steered into that almost immediately, helping people start a business, you know, helping them address issues that come up with contracts, getting paid, employment issues, et cetera. Uh, so business is my primary focus. And my secondary focus these days is estate planning and administration, uh, you know, wills, trusts, things of that nature. Yeah. Now, do you find that the MBA is helpful in running? Well, let me ask you this. When did you get your MBA? I got my MBA while I was in law school at Villanova. They offered a joint program where credits counted both ways, et cetera. And, uh, you know, the the finances made sense as well, you know, would have costed a whole bunch separately on its own. So uh, I just kind of, you know, made the decision in my second year of law school that uh, this would be something that is potentially going to be helpful to me in the future. And absolutely, I, I honestly think that that the learning that I, uh, you know, got from getting the MBA is more helpful in running my legal practice than the legal knowledge. I mean, I think the law school teaches you how to find the answer to any question, you know, how to go about it, the process, et cetera. It doesn't necessarily tell you what all the laws are, but right. business school definitely, uh, you know, opened my eyes to, you know, all the things that you know about as running your own practice, the marketing and, uh, you know, the accounting and all those types of things. So yeah, it, it's been incredibly helpful. Now you opened your own firm practically right out of law school, right? That's correct. So do you think that, I mean, I guess it's probably more advantageous in that situation, right? Oh, 100%. Uh, you know, that was certainly, it would have been much, much more difficult to do that without that training. And do you ever, uh, you know, do you keep in touch with any of the people that were in the MBA program or did you kind of keep to yourself as a law student? They were like, get away from here. You know, we're not trying to get sued, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I really do not keep contact with anyone from the program. I it, The thing about it was I was going to law school during the day and the MBA program was at night. So, uh, you know, you didn't have as much interaction with those students. They, you know, they weren't necessarily staying on campus. They came and went. So I really, uh, yeah, not so much. And let me shift for one second, because something you mentioned or something I know about you that you didn't mention is that you also do work in crypto, cryptocurrency. So, but you didn't mention it. So I don't know if that means, you know, Doge is down, Bitcoin's down. So are you out of the crypto market? Because I'm all jammed up because uh, I put a little, I got a little greedy on my Dogecoin purchases. Uh, I got, I got in low-ish and then it went up. I thought we were going to the moon. So I reinvested and then it came down and now, uh, ooh, hoping it goes, you know, back up at some point. Which is all to say, tell me about cryptocurrency. Are you doing stuff for businesses regarding crypto? What's going on with that? Uh, it's something I'm interested in and kind of breaking into. It's obviously an evolving field, if you want to even call it that. Uh, I was recently asked to speak at a uh, CLE presentation for the PBA or PBI uh, financial boot camp for lawyers. And my topic was on cryptocurrency and how it came to be and what the issues are as a, you know, a practicing divorce attorney. Again, even though I don't practice family law so much anymore, it's still, you know, that it's, it's one of those topics that, you know, potentially crosses, you know, borders of legal field, so to speak. I mean, it would come into play in estate planning and administration. Uh, and so, uh, I'm, 
you know, it, as I said, it's, it's kind of in, in its infancy and uh, I'm exploring, you know, how to turn that into a monetary thing. Gotcha. So you haven't really broken in yet. It's something you're thinking about. Yes. People that are listening that need a crypto lawyer should come to you and then you'll kind of figure it out. That just like Nancy Walsh, put me in, I'll figure it out as, as things unfold. Exactly. So how would it affect a divorce? I mean, wouldn't it just be treated as assets like any other? I guess it's easier to hide if you have it in a cold wallet. Sure. That's certainly one of the issues, but uh, I mean, the, I think the you know primary issues for a you know divorce practitioner is the manner of valuation. Uh, you know, it's not it's it, it, it's crypto is volatile, so it could be one thing one day and totally uh, different the next. So you know, yes. value how when and how you value and how you account for the potential volatility, and then how you distribute is also a problem because you know just because one. Uh, spouse is into crypto, the other one might have no idea, might not know the first thing about setting up a wallet for, you know, those things or transferring things. And then, you know, there's tax issues, which they remain to be determined. Uh, oh, yeah. So a lot of uncertainty there, which someone's going to have to answer those questions. Maybe you. Maybe. Maybe me, maybe all of us, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's not going to happen until somebody that, uh, you know, has a wallet that the other side doesn't know about and then they find out about it later, that'll be the interesting case. You know, it's almost hidden assets, essentially. Sure. Because if they don't know about it and they've been mining crypto in their basement for five years and they've got 10 Bitcoin that reach worth $30,000 sitting I, on a little piece of plastic. You're right. Um, that's interesting to think about. Well, that's probably not going to be me. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> somebody smarter like you can handle that. So that's uh, an evolving field. Now, are you doing a lot of investing in crypto? What platforms are you using? Are you using cold storage? So, well, tell people, let me do it this way. I've had a bit of coffee. Let me take a step back, slow down, tell people that are listening, because we have lawyers and non-lawyers alike, what is cryptocurrency? Uh, how did you find out about it and get into it? And what should people look at to really find out more? Because this whole podcast isn't going to be about cryptocurrency. Wow, that, that was a quite a series of questions there. So cryptocurrency is... is uh digital currency that is uh, essentially protected by cryptography, which is electronic uh, codes, et cetera. Uh, I got into it just upon learning about it, you know, a number of years ago, and uh, I, I just was intrigued by it. And I initially bought a what's called a miner, which is a machine that has computing capabilities in order to perform calculations that enable the cryptocurrency system to exist. Uh, M-I-N-E-R. M-I-N-E-R, yes. Okay, this is not like some dark web stuff that you're, you know, buying kids and having no, them like no, mine no. in your basement. No, so there's this big blue box that sat on my floor here for a while and had eight graphics cards in it and it uh, was on the Ethereum system and I was in return for you know, using that system and solving those computational problems, you're rewarded Ethereum. So I, that was my break into it. And, uh, you know, since then, 
you know, I've, I've, I've uh, experienced the ups and downs of the cryptocurrency, the huge run up in 2017 and 18, and then the huge crash, and it's been up and down many times. So, you know, my strategy now, and I wish, you know, it was what I, my strategy was from the very beginning was to, you know, just consistently buy in and not try to time the market. Uh, that's a loser's game. So uh, I've, you know, my, as I said, this has all evolved over time, but that's my strategy these days. And I, I really don't have a ton of Bitcoin. I, I, I'm more in support of Ethereum because it has real world use cases and, uh, you know, it's being used by other applications to build on top of. So, uh, you know, there's actual intrinsic value there, but Ethereum Cardano is similar to that. I, I have a little bit of Dogecoin just because of the hype behind it, et cetera. But so, yeah, you know, and I have some friends that have turned on to it. So, you know, we'll talk about it and text back and forth about, you know, this is what we expect to happen, et cetera. It, it almost feels like sometimes when I talk to people about it, it almost feels like a multi-level marketing scheme. You know, how would you like to get in? You're in on the ground floor and then you can retire, be financially independent, blah, blah, blah. Uh, similar to selling candles or whatever. I, I, I don't disagree with you entirely. I'm, you know, happy to have been in as, you know, as maybe some might say an earlier adopter. So I'm, you know, I'm on moving up the pyramid. So there's, you yeah. know, people below me, which, you know, I, uh, if the bottom drops out, it's probably not as bad for me. Now, do you still do the mining? Do you still have the machine? I still have the machine, but the power source went on it and I never thought to to get it replaced and this was you know at, at a time where the market dropped back and it became a question of you know the amount of electricity that you you pay is that going to be more than you might earn in the uh crypto thing if i would have just kept it going i i might be retired by now but i did not and uh so i still have the miner it's probably worth you know several thousand dollars to somebody for sure well, and do you still have, is there like a wallet on there or how does that work? Uh, you set up your own wallet and it, you know, you then uh, put it in the system and that's where it puts the, the coin, so to speak. I'm on my phone, which I normally don't do during a podcast, just to see that Ethereum, you know, each each unit of Ethereum is worth $3,000. So if you've been mining Ethereum, maybe you should, uh, you know, open that up and see, see what's going on. It actually just went above four thousand today, briefly, and then dropped back down. But uh, uh, yeah, that's I I enjoy looking at that at certain times. I you know I I I'm willing to say that when I was mining, the coins were somewhere around two hundred dollars. Oh, there you go. Okay, and uh, but you got those diamond hands, right? You're just holding on I, your life. Absolutely. All right, I like it. I like it. Now that's not your only hobby, right? Because you're you're into gardening. Sure. I, read about online. I love gardening. Yeah, for sure. I grow tomatoes and peppers. My whole uh, roof deck is filled with plants and I enjoy it. Uh, you know, it's it's a fun way to pass the time. Is this something you picked up during COVID or was this like a previous? Oh, no, I've done it for eight, 10 years now. And, uh, you know, it's just something I've always enjoyed and, uh, you know, something you don't you're not like an expert in it, you know, you have to learn, you know, over time as to what works and, you know, then what plants you like to grow and, 
you know, it, it's it's fun to learn, you know, every every year something new. Did you pick up any new hobbies during COVID? During the lockdown? I shouldn't say during COVID. I thought I could st- I thought I could uh, say during COVID this summer and now we're just back in it. So what's the difference? But during the initial lockdown, did you pick up any new hobbies? New hobbies? Not necessarily, although the only, you know, the something I might say is new during COVID is that I've begun to try to learn Spanish through the Duolingo app. Ah, how's that going? Not bad. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, I'm not about to, you know, try to say anything uh, in Spanish right now, but I'm learning. That's okay. I tried learning German that way and didn't really, a few, few phrases stuck. Right. Um, I heard the one in your one podcast a little bit, but yeah. I don't what it was exactly exactly i actually liked uh pimsler was what i got on audible you can get these like language lessons and they you can listen to them in the car and then it's like they say the thing you say it back uh, kind of deal but i like it because when i'm driving you can do it sure sure that makes sense multitasking uh, yeah which maybe isn't the safest thing in the world because you're supposed to be focusing but it's like i'm either doing that or listening to a book so what's the difference right so Talking about COVID, I only want to touch on it a little bit because I was, as I was saying to you offline, the feedback I got is people are tired of hearing about COVID, but you have kind of an interesting take on it because you were the president of the Montgomery Bar Association during 2020. Uh, not the ideal bar year, right? You missed out on your bar conference. You didn't get to do any fun traveling. Uh, really, all the perks kind of evaporated, and I'm guessing it was mostly more work than you had anticipated. Everything you said is accurate. Um, there we go. It was a very, very challenging year. And, uh, you know, I, uh, it, COVID certainly affected the year considerably. And it's a shame that, you know, we missed out on a lot of those live events and the camaraderie and the laughter. But, you know, we did get important work done nonetheless over that time period. So it was a challenging but uh, a, a productive year. Now, you're from Pottstown, and you're the first Pottstown attorney uh, to be president of the Bar Association. And for people that aren't from Montgomery County or even from Pennsylvania, essentially, the county seat is Norristown. Uh, there are very affluent suburbs right outside of Philadelphia. And Pottstown is kind of like on the other end of the county to some extent, about 30 minutes from 30 to 40 minutes from uh, Norristown, where the county seat and the bar office is. And for whatever reason, there's never been a president of the bar from Pottstown in the however many years the Bar Association has existed. Why do you think that is? Well, surely part of it is that, uh, you know, you have to be in Norristown and known to even have any chance, I think, to to move up in that manner. So, uh, you know, it was part of the attorneys in Pottstown are not necessarily trial or court attorneys, you know, they're transactional, so they don't get down there and then, you know, for meetings uh, that allow for that camaraderie, whether it be a criminal defense committee meeting or what have you that are held in person, you know, to drive from Pottstown, the, the 45 minute drive or so to, to go for lunch for an hour and 15 minutes and then to drive back. That's quite a chunk out of the day. So, you know, I got to assume that there were many capable and uh, many people from Pottstown that could have done it, but they just, you know, didn't flow through the the channels in that manner. And do you think we'll be able to recruit more lawyers from Pottstown now that things are virtual or at least virtually optional? Oh, I think, you know, that certainly opens the door for 
for greater participation. And, and, I, and I do think that that has, in fact, happened, that, you know, there are more Potsdam attorneys attending events. Same with, you know, Huntington Valley. That's on the other total opposite end of Montgomery County. It takes me like an hour and 10 minutes to get there. Uh, but, you know, we see that. We saw that all throughout the, the pandemic of, and 2020, that the numbers in terms of participation actually surged uh, and, you know, are, are at are record highs as compared, compared to, you know, all the in-person stuff that we did. So it's, you know, it hasn't been all bad by any means. It's, this is, you know, there's good things that have come out of this. So tell me, just give us a little preview of how crazy it was being in charge of the Bar Association, which means you're the liaison to some extent to the judges, uh, to court administration. Tell me, take me back to like early COVID lockdown and kind of just walk me through a little bit how crazy all that was and what was going on on the back end. Sure. Uh, well, first, I, you know, the precursor to that uh, was on the second day of my tenure. I uh, had a meeting with Nancy Paul, who had been the who was the executive director at the time and has been the executive director for 29 years. And she essentially advised me that it was her intention to retire uh, almost as soon as she could. But, you know, she's willing to stay on to, you know, make sure the transition occurred appropriately. So, you know, January and February and in the March, we were trying to. For one, you know, consider the fact that we hadn't replaced an executive director in 29 years. So there was no procedure that was just there that, you know, everyone, you know, agreed. So we had to come up with that, et cetera. So we were in the midst of dealing with all that. And then, uh, you know, I'm getting I, I one of the the uh, things that I enjoyed most of when I was my time of presidency is that I had a a direct link or ability to speak to Judge Del Ritchie, which we did often. And he, you know, it was maybe late February or March. He, you know, called me on the phone and said, you know, I, I'm sure you're seeing what's happening up in New Rochelle, New York, with the outbreak up there. Like Montgomery County is possibly about to become the second epicenter here because, uh, you know, I think a doctor had traveled and come back and, you know, it started growing from there. So, uh you know, I remember, though, you know, there were some tense moments and meetings like, you know, we had the bench bar meeting, which is the, the committee itself. And Judge Del Ritchie, you know, said we're heading into uncertain times here and we might have to close the courthouse and we might have to transition to, you know, do things online. And at the same time, we were in the process of interviewing candidates from all across, you know, the United States for the position of the executive bar and uh, or executive director position. So, you know, that, that whole process shifted essentially, you know, online as well. And so, you know, it was a lot of uncertainty and, you know, then really we just followed the court's lead in determining, you know, what was best. I, I think actually the bar association made a decision before even the court that we, we needed to essentially lockdown and, you know, not keep the Bar Association building open. But I have a specific recollection that in that first week of, you know, calamity and we were shutting things down, I had over 1,200 emails re relating to just, you know, the issues that were going on. It was Whoa. more than a full-time job at that point. And did it, you know, once things were locked down and they kind of stayed that way, did that become less of a full-time job as bar president or was it like every month 
as the CDC was changing things, you guys were meeting and figuring out what you're going to do, or you were like, look, we're at the whim of the commissioners in the court and they'll sort it out. Well, thankfully, I, you know, I did not try to do everything myself. And, you know, the, the bar association employees, you know, were behind me and, and assisted me in every way, particularly Jack Costello. Uh, you know, again, you know, Nancy Paul was involved, but she was you know, somewhat transitioning out. So, uh, you know, we the IT capabilities of the bar association were stepped up. And, you know, that was a transition that took time to, you know, maneuver everything online. And the same thing was going on in the courts. So uh, it waned, I guess, you know, it was a it was certainly a more than 40 hour a week thing at the for the first several weeks. And then each month after that, perhaps it got less and less. Uh, so, you know, and, and I was able to turn over more of the uh, decision making, et cetera, to, you know, committees and sections. And, you know, we had a number of presentations, you know, as to what were the new court protocols that were constantly evolving. So, you know, in the beginning, I was very, very involved with every aspect of it. But, you know, you kind of get weary and you yeah. allow more people to step in, so which I was more than thankful for. Now, something I always wonder about people from small firms like yourself who become bar presidents or rise very high in bar associations is, you know, that is a time commitment. I mean, even I've, I just finished chairing a committee in the ABA, standing committee in the ABA, and that's just a 12 person committee, but it's still a lot of work. And, you know, I've, I'm at a firm now, I used to be a solo, but um, how do you do it? I mean, how do you, you know, balance the bar association involvement with having to bring in money? Because if you're doing more hours of bar association work and you're doing less uh, hours at the office, that means you're making less money, or is it, just you kind of take a hit for that year and that's that. Yeah, I, I really didn't worry about the money aspect. Uh, I, you know, I. Oh, OK. <laughs> I, I, you know, I made made the commitment to, you know, serving as the president to do the job that needed to be done. So that was my primary focus for that year. And, uh, you know, frankly, as you probably know, there was a while there where, uh, you know, there there wasn't necessarily a ton of clients coming in the door for, you know, for my, my firm in particular in Pottstown, uh, you know, the only clients in that in the height of COVID or the scare of COVID were people that were, you know, worried about getting their estate in order in case something happened. So, you know, we we that was, you know, what somewhat carried the law office through that time period. But yeah, I, you know, I prioritize the, the presidency and what needed to get done uh, first and foremost. And uh, I, you know, I can say it wasn't as if money wasn't an issue or what have you, but I, I'm thankful that I had had a case that had gone on for years and resolved at the end of 2019 that resulted in a bit of a windfall. So, you know, and I, that money came in in the beginning of 2020. So it was you know, that provided a cushion just at the right time. Yeah. And I guess, but in general, would the plan have been, you just kind of say to yourself, hey, this year I'm going to be bar president. We might take a 10 or 15% reduction in income and we'll just budget accordingly. And that's that. Well, pretty much. I mean, uh, yeah. as long in a non-COVID year, I mean, obviously everyone took a 10 to 20% hit uh, sure. in 2020. 
I mean, I only have one law partner to, to deal with. So, uh, you know, as long as the expenses were paid, uh, you know, there was no worries there and that was never an issue. So, uh, you know, he was totally supportive across the board. And so there was never any issue. Nice. That's good. So we shifted to COVID. I want to get back to something you mentioned in the beginning, which is that you're a huge, huge music person. Now, are you another musician? I feel like a lot of these lawyers I've had on are secretly musicians as well. Or are you just a listener? Oh, I'm I'm a musician. I played piano for 13 years when I was younger, violin for 12, drums for 12, I guess. Uh, then went to college and didn't play any music uh, all through college, all through law school. And then, you know, when I was in my 30s, I somehow became involved in a band and I was the singer and I've never had any tra training whatsoever to be a singer, but nonetheless, there I was. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I, we formed a band and built it up to, you know, we had 50 songs and we were performing, you know, a number of different venues in Phoenixville and, you know, uh, Westchester, et cetera. And I, I do note, you know, I, I listened uh, intently and, and and enjoyed Kerry Hall's podcast. And he, I, I thought he might mention, but he didn't get quite into it. But he and I played in a makeshift band that we put together for what was a fundraiser for the MBF, Montgomery Bar Foundation, which was called Lawyer Palooza. And uh, we actually were the opening act and we appeared on stage in official and authentic Montgomery County correctional facility jumpsuits. And, you okay. know, we played, we played a set of songs that were legal in nature, such as I fought the law and the law won and uh, breaking the law, <laughs> et cetera. So, yeah, I've always enjoyed music and uh, it's, it's been fun to, to get out there and actually perform. Yeah, I bet. And are you still doing that? So as you get older, you know, people have obligations and families and things like that. So, you know, you lose a band member here or there, and then it takes some time to replace someone and then someone else, you know, goes. So uh, we've I've just now assembled what I think is the best collective that I've had thus far. And we're I, we're we're planning to practice tomorrow. So uh, we might play a Halloween show. We'll see. These are What's all the name of the band. That has yet to be determined. Oh, okay. TBD. Right. TBD now. I think yeah. that's taken now. Yeah, that is taken. Um, let me ask you this. Now's the most important question of the podcast that you know uh, the question that's coming already. Oxford comma. I'm guessing you know what it is by now. Otherwise, I'm doing a real shit job as a podcast host. But uh, do you know what it is and do you use it? Uh, well, I'm going to flip this back on you, Josh. So, you know, you are a member of the MBA. Is that right? Yes. And they don't so, just let anyone do this podcast. Right. That's exactly right. So you would have, of course, received numerous president's messages from me last year about Nancy Paul's departure and the process of hiring the you know, new executive director or the closing of the building and COVID and all that. And then the aftermath of George Floyd, et cetera. So with those you know, 20 to 30 uh, written things, I'm curious if you noticed if I would have been an Oxford comma person. You know, I don't remember noticing and usually I do. Um, so, but it's also possible that I was paying more attention to other things. So I don't remember noticing and thinking, oh, this is annoying. Um, 
But yeah, maybe that's just poor attention span on my part. No problem. Well, absolutely. I I know what it is. And 100%, I always use it. I'm, I might use commas too liberally, but you know, if I think that a pause is warranted, that it's there. The comma is my friend. Oh, well, that's why. So let me clarify. I only notice it when it's not there. Ah. And, the, and when I'm reading something and, the, and there's no comma there, I'm like, what am I reading? Who is this person? Are they an idiot? Uh, et cetera. Sure. Uh, so let me ask you some other questions here. This is like our lightning round, although we don't actually go quickly, but I ask the same questions to everyone. Do you have any superstitions? Oh, sure. Uh, you know, some of them are hard and fast superstitions that, you know, they're always in play, such as, uh, you know, don't open the umbrella indoors. And I, I do subscribe to the no hat on the bed that Nicole, uh, Phillips had mentioned, uh, I, I saw that one in a movie and, you know, I just applied it to, to, you know, my life. So, uh, but then there's, you know, there's some superstitions that I only kind of employ when it's helpful to me. Uh, you know, if I'm running in the rain, I might not, you know, adhere to the step on a crack, break your mother's back thing. Or, you know, if I have a client testifying in court and, suddenly his pants are on fire and the judge says, liar, liar, pants on fire. I was like, oh no, judge, there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for this. But uh, yeah, so it's kind of situational. I, I definitely have my superstitions and you know I employ them when it's helpful for me, I think. Yeah. What is something that you hate, but you wish you loved? I Maybe handwriting thank you notes. Oh, uh, that's a great one. Yeah, I agree I, 100%. You know, I, 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 you know, it's very appropriate to thank people. And I, you know, do so effusively. I'd prefer to do it in person, but, you know, when you got to sit down and put pen to paper and, you know, and when there's a bunch of them, eh, it's not all that fun, but uh, so that's one thing. Maybe it's nothing I could change, but I hate traffic more than anything. And uh, maybe I would just like, change the fact that I wouldn't hate it so much. Yeah. Uh, what's the weirdest tradition your family has? You know, I thought about that one and we really don't have a ton. And, you know, I'm going to go with keeping secrets from each other, although that's not a traditional tradition, but that just seems to be what my, my siblings and I, and my mom, you know, we all know certain things about each other's, you know, individual existence, but the, you know, the other two parties might not know certain things. So it's a, you know, you're always tiptoeing and uh, need to know information. You got to be secretive. I like it. My family is very similar, at least one part of my family. My wife's family is the exact opposite. Everyone knows everything about everyone else. Uh, what is something you get wrong almost every time you do it? Uh, I'm going to go with leaving early. Uh, you know, I've, I know you're not a huge sports fan, but you know, there's those times where you're at a Phillies game and it's the seventh inning and they're getting, you know, their butts kicked and, uh, you get up and go. And then on the radio, on the way home, Oh, the greatest comeback in history has occurred. And yep. you know, you're not there. So at this point now I don't leave early. Like I'll be the last person sitting there just to make sure that I don't miss anything. Well, and that kind of weighs with your hate of traffic. Sure, exactly. I'll wait it out. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes sense because then you're you're either leaving early to avoid the traffic or at this point waiting so long that there's no longer any traffic there. Indeed. Uh, what is something that people are obsessed with, but you just don't get the point of? 
<laughs> I want to say listening to podcasts, but I don't want Fair to enough. Your feelings now. That's fine. Now, my, my real one is uh, going to Wawa every morning. To me, I just don't get it because, you know, it's such an investment of time to, you know, to go go there, deal with all the people, you know, leaving the gas pumps in and out, you know, it's like a traffic nightmare. Then you go inside to battle people to overpay for whatever it is, a coffee or whatever you get every day. And, you know, to me, it's like you could, you could buy a whole thing of coffee for the amount you pay for that one coffee, make it at home, miss the traffic, you know, and you have the added thing of, you know, COVID, you know, there's that's a pretty high trafficked area with people touching the screens and coughing on things. It's like so you're you're like going in there with many reasons not to. All right. Well, they're not a sponsor, so it's OK. Good, uh, now, good. what are you doing for your coffee then? Are you making it at home? Are you just like a drip coffee guy? French press, AeroPress, cappuccino, so, latte? So I honestly have never been much of a coffee guy. And it was right before COVID, a friend of mine said, do you want this coffee maker? We got a newer, nicer one. And I, I said, you know, does it work? And he said, yeah. So he gave it to me. And then during COVID at one point, I said, I'm going to make coffee. And I'm telling you, I've never made coffee before. So I, you know, set it all up. I hit brew. I walk away. I come back a couple minutes later and it's essentially overflowing out the top mm -hmm. because I did not put the lid on the carafe uh, you know, the, the picture, so to speak. So it didn't push the little uh, spring thing up to allow the, the fluid to flow out. So I messed up making coffee the very first time. So. And then did you, you give up after that or, or did you, no, stick with that? you know, I've had a couple cups, you know, if I got to really get going in the morning, I'm not much of a morning person. That was, I like that one that Frankie said that, you know, waking up early is something I just, just not for me. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, teach their own. Uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, I know you're going to poo-poo this one because it's been given before by, uh, well, first you wouldn't allow Mark Steinberg to give it, I think. And then. Uh, I'm impressed at your memory of uh, podcasts that I've done. You remember better than I do. I, I remember a lot, Josh. Uh, and then Bruce Panko used it, which is be prepared. And it's not the reason that they said I actually, I, I, uh, I'm an Eagle Scout mm -hmm, and too. that is, oh, well, that's great to know. So, you know, very well that the, uh, you know, the Scout motto is be prepared. And, uh, you know, that I, I learned, you know, uh, directly when I, you know, uh, went out camping for wilderness survival merit badge, when, you know, uh, basically we, a hurricane hit. And, you know, you, you needed to be prepared in that instance and have thought things ahead, et cetera. But, you know, that served me well uh, throughout my life. Uh, you know, there's 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 just nothing uh, better than, you know, walking into a courtroom and, and knowing that you're prepared for whatever might happen, that you've thought it through ahead of time. But, you know, again, since that's been used before, I will just briefly say another one is. Uh, you're responsible for your own happiness and your own path in life that no one else, you know, owes you a thing. Uh, of course, they can give you many things out of kindness and courtesies, but no one owes you anything and you're responsible to, you know, make your own happiness. And that ties in with I'm trying to remember who it was, Regina, who said 
don't you don't have to accept the invitation to every argument, which, you know, that goes right into that. So, like, if it doesn't serve you, move on and, and do what's what's good for you. That's great. Two for one. I like it. Well, you know, I like to I like to help you out here, Josh. Yeah, Patrick, well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I think it's been a good interview. And where can people find you if they want to look you up and they need your services or they just want to see what you're up to? Uh, that's a good question. You can find me in the streets of Pottstown. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't have much of a social media presence. I'm on Facebook. But even if your friend requests me, if I haven't met you in person, I'm not going to accept it. Uh, you know, you can find me online and certainly, you know, my, my law office, et cetera. And that's princeandcurtis.com. Yep. You got it. Okay. All right. And we'll put it in the show notes. Well, thanks for joining us and, uh, hopefully we'll see you in person soon. I hope so, Josh. Thanks for listening to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This podcast is a production of the Montgomery Bar Association in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Views expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and not their employers or the Montgomery Bar Association. No content in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Interrogatories, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review. For more information, visit us at www.montgomerybar.org.